Welcome to another installment of Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Roseborough. I am your servant in Jesus Christ. This is the channel that compares what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. So have you ever heard anyone say that if you do not perform signs and wonders, uh, then, well, you're only preaching half a gospel. That uh, you, in order to do the gospel right, you must perform signs and wonders. Well, if you've ever heard that, and if you haven't, you will by the end of this episode. Uh, if you've ever heard that, then you've been told something false. This is not what the scripture teaches. And unfortunately, this is becoming a very popular teaching, and it's flat out contrary to scripture. But let's just say that the discernment level necessary to kind of tease this one out it's, it's a little bit more than context, context, context. This one takes a little bit of research. So with that, we're going to uh, open up the, whirl up the desktop, if you would. And uh, yeah, that's a photo photograph I took in September 2019 of the Manhattan skyline over uh, uh, on the Brooklyn side of the Brooklyn Bridge over in Dumbo. Yeah, got to get back and do some cityscape photography, uh, alas. But uh, we are going to uh, uh, take a look at, and let's do this, uh, a fellow by the name of Isaiah Saldivar. Isaiah Saldivar. This is a guy who's kind of figured out the uh, the YouTube algorithm and is milking it for every viewer he can possibly get. Uh, he's currently at 423,000 followers on YouTube. And the best way I can put it, this guy is your typical narcissistic eisegete who cannot properly handle biblical texts, who's a lot of, uh, he's a lot of show, if you would. He speaks fast. He has a lot of passion. But unfortunately, the things that he says don't square with the word of God. And some of the things that he's saying are so egregiously wrong, he ends up putting burdens on people uh, that the scriptures don't put upon us. Yeah, let's kind of put it that way. So uh, we're going to be listening to a couple of things from Isaiah Saldivar. Number one. We're going to listen to what he says here in this episode of his YouTube channel called Signs and Wonders Required. Yeah, and it's all in caps. So, you know, you, you got to do that. And, and then um, we'll even listen to a, a recent sermon he delivered back on August 3rd uh, called Supernatural Abilities You Won't Believe That You Have clickbaity for sure, but he twists God's word really badly. So uh, let's dive into the topic. And by the way, the Bible teaching today is um, going to be extensive. It's going to be a little bit longer than it normally is. And it's normally long here at Fighting for the Faith. Necessary though, necessary. So let's see if we can set things up here. And Isaiah Saldivar is going to be looking at a text from 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15. See what we can do with that. I'm sorry, not 1 Corinthians. Romans. Romans 15. Romans 15. 17 through 19. Therefore, I have reason to glory in Christ Jesus and the things which pertain to God. Okay, so listen to what Paul says here. Now, you're going to think Paul's arrogant, but I want you to see what Paul says here. I have reason to glory in Christ and the things that pertain to God. For I will not dare to speak on any of the things which Christ has not accomplished through me in word and deed to make the Gentiles obedient in mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Holy Spirit, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and round about to Lyricum, I fully preached the gospel of Christ. So Paul is careful to say everything I've accomplished was because Christ working through me. So okay, yes, that's correct so far. Paul is talking about his apostolic ministry as an apostle. 
apostle to the Gentiles. An apostle is an important office that Paul held. He was the apostle to the Gentiles. Okay, keep that in mind. So the only boasting I'm doing is boasting about what Christ has done through me. When we say, let me just give you an example. Last month, okay, we, we had 19 million views collected. Now, real quick, so you're, you're going to note, this is, a, this is a technique. I've been watching many of his videos to kind of get a radar fix on how he does what he does. And this is something he does constantly. He reads a biblical text and makes a point that actually is in the text, and then immediately starts talking about himself. It's a fascinating thing that he does here. And so what he's doing is he's basically saying, well, the Apostle Paul boasted about the things. So let me talk about the things that I can boast about uh, that the Lord is doing. And so he runs his life and his experiences parallel to the biblical text. This is a form of eisegesis and a form of narcissistic eisegesis, reading yourself into the the biblical text. I assure you that when Paul wrote for uh, Romans chapter 15, he did not have Isaiah Saldivar or me or you in his mind while he was writing these texts. So watch what he does. Here. On our channel, 19 million views on our channel last month. That's about 5 million people every week we reach with the gospel. Now I say that and you say, Isaiah, you're bragging, you're boasting. I am boasting what Christ has accomplished through me. Now, if my channel, my YouTube channel was about vlogging or about me riding bikes or motorcycles or being out, whatever, it was not about God. And I said, we reached 20 million people last month. That would be arrogant and that would be boasting. So every YouTube channel that isn't a Christian channel that celebrates milestones in their growth, that's arrogance? No, I don't think so. Paul is saying is as I'm boasting about reaching 19 million people last month, I'm boasting in what Christ has done through me. That's the boasting. And, and, and understand it's Christ working through me. It's not me doing it. It's Christ working through me. That's what Paul says I boast about. And then Paul says... Understand that the gospel preaching the message by the mighty power, signs and wonders is the full presentation of the gospel. So he says with signs and wonders. Okay, this is important. I'm going to back this up and we're going to have to listen to this in context. But he's making the claim here that performing signs and wonders is the quote, full presentation of the gospel. And boy, is this sneaky what he's doing, but it's, it's nothing could be further from the truth. So let me back this up just a Christ little Christ working through me. That's what Paul says I boast about. And then Paul says, understand that the gospel preaching the message by the mighty power, signs and wonders. Preaching the message by the mighty power, signs and wonders. He's eisegeting here. He's reading something into the text that isn't there. Is the full presentation of the gospel. So he says, with signs and wonders, I fully presented it. Anyone who says signs and wonders don't matter or isn't required in presenting the gospel is completely wrong. Paul says this, signs and wonders gave him full confidence that he fully preached the gospel and without them, the gospel... No, he didn't say that at all. Let me, let me, let's listen again what he's claiming Paul is saying, and then we'll take a look at the text in context, and we'll do a little comparative work along the way, too. Is the full presentation of the gospel. So he says, with signs and wonders, I fully presented it. Anyone who says sign and signs and wonders don't matter or isn't required in presenting the gospel. Signs and wonders are required in presenting the gospel, says no biblical text anywhere, but he says it's absolutely mandatory. It's completely wrong. Paul says this, signs and wonders gave him full confidence that he fully preached the gospel and without... No, he didn't say that at all. Without them, the gospel's not full. Here's what the NLT... No, he didn't say that either. He didn't say without signs and wonders, the gospel is not full. He did not say he that. He says, they were convinced by the power of miraculous signs and wonders and by the power of God's spirit. 
All right, so he quotes Ends the and NLT. wonders gave him full confidence that he fully preached the gospel, and without them, the gospel is not full. Here's what the NLT says. They were convinced by the power of miraculous signs and wonders and by the power of God's spirit. In this way, in what way? By the miraculous signs and wonders. In this way, I have fully presented the good news of Christ from Jerusalem all the way to Lyricum. In today's era of Christianity, we've lost the convincing factor. We've lost the convincing factor. The thing that was convincing people in Paul's day was the signs and wonders. No. Now, real quick, we're going to do a little comparative work here. So the text in question is Romans chapter 15. And the New Living Translation is over here on the left-hand side. It's the, you know, so you see Romans 15, New Living Translation. And I'm going to note, this is a terrible translation. It's, it's, it, this is not what the text says at all in the Greek. So Paul says, according to the NLT... I am fully convinced, my dear brothers and sisters, that you are full of goodness to know these things so well you can teach each other all about them. Even, even so, I have been bold enough to write about some of these points, knowing that all you need is this reminder. For by God's grace, I am a special messenger from Christ Jesus to you Gentiles, I bring you the good news so that you might present, I, I might present you as acceptable offering to God made holy by the Holy Spirit. So I have reason to be enthusiastic about all that Christ Jesus has done through me in my service to God, yet I dare not boast about anything except what Christ has done through me, bringing the Gentiles to God by my message and by the way I worked among them. They were convinced by the power of miraculous signs and wonders and by the power of God's Spirit. So you'll note that the NLT, Romans chapter 15, verse... Uh, 19 says that the Gentiles were convinced by the power of miraculous signs and wonders. And here's the thing. The Greek text doesn't say it, nor do other translations. So over here on this side, we have the NIV. So here in the middle, right next to, the, to this one, note what the NIV does in verse, you know, verses 18 and 19. So here's what it says. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done, by the power of signs and wonders, through the power of the Spirit of God, so from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. Okay. So note, it doesn't say that they were convinced by signs and wonders. In fact, we have biblical texts that contradict the NLT's really bad translation, which is not justified by the Greek. But you'll note that the NIV, which is not the best of translations. I'm not a fan of the NIV. The NIV doesn't add the words and they were convinced by. Mm -mm. Um, the ESV, hang on a second here. Uh, next up is the KJV, the King James Version, uh, for all you Texas Receptus people out there, says, uh, for I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ hath not wrought by me to make the Gentiles obedient by word and deed through mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem around about unto Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. Okay, so note here, it doesn't mention anything about the, uh, the, uh, the Roman church or Gentiles being convinced by signs and wonders. It doesn't say that. The ESV is, I think, out of the group I've 
selected here, the closest to what the Greek says. And then you'll note verse 18, for I will not venture, ESV is over here on the right, I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me, to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and by deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. Okay, so note nothing there about them being convinced, nor does Paul say that if you don't do signs and wonders, you haven't fully preached the gospel. The text doesn't say that. So uh, Isaiah Saldivar is showing that he doesn't know how to rightly handle biblical texts and merely making an appeal to the NLT, the new living translation. Remember the living started off as a paraphrase and they tried to tidy it up by coming out with the NLT, which is still an abysmal mess, right? Um, the, the NLT is only a little bit better than a paraphrase, just, just a little bit, but th they, they added words. So if we t were to take a look at, uh, you know, let's say Romans chapter 15, and I were to look at 18. Um, so I, I, can, I can start in, uh, in 17. In Jesus Christ, then I have reason to be proud of my work for God, for I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring to the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, uh, by the power of signs and wonders, and duname semeon, kai teraton, right, and power, and signs and wonders, and by the uh, the power, the dunamé pneumatas of, of the Spirit, and then there's an alternative reading of the Spirit of God, so that um, so that from Jerusalem uh, and and around Illyricum, you get the idea here. Nothing there about them being convinced that it doesn't exist in the Greek at all. So the NLT has an aberrant translation and they've added something to the biblical text that's not there. And remember, when we talk about the inerrancy of, of, of scripture, inerrancy applies to the autographs, the original documents written by the, uh, by the prophets and the apostles. And, uh, and we have really good confidence to believe that we have a really, really, really accurate idea of what those, uh, what those autographs originally said. This is what the, 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 the science of uh, textual criticism really focuses its, you know, its laser beam scholarship on, you know, looking at all of the different variant readings and stuff like that to get back at the original to, to, and what it says. And so uh, a good example, the Nestle Elan 28, which is what I use for translating that it, I think that they, they, you can say we're 99.999% sure uh, we know what the original autograph said because of the abundance of manuscripts that we have in our possession today as compared to when uh, Erasmus put together the Textus Receptus, which it was only a handful of manuscripts at the time. But all of that being said, there is no manuscript that says uh, that the Gentiles were convinced by signs and wonders. So Isaiah Saldivar... I, I should say, very deceitfully makes an appeal to the NLT when he should be making an appeal to the original Greek text. But he can't because the original text doesn't say that. So here's where we're going to do a little bit of work, okay? We're going to talk about signs and wonders, and we're going to ask the question, are signs and wonders necessary 
when it comes to preaching the gospel. If we do not perform signs and wonders, is that a half gospel or a different gospel? If we do not perform signs and wonders, um, are we somehow taking the gospel and making it void? Are we doing something wrong? Answer, no, not at all. So when we talk about signs and wonders, it's important that you recognize that throughout the Bible, they're rare. And, and I mean absolutely rare. So if you were to read the book of Genesis, from Genesis chapter 1 all the way to the end, with the death of, of Israel and, uh, and then ultimately the death of Joseph, uh, you know, as we get into the book of Exodus, how many people were signs and wonders, folks? None. Zero. <laughs> <laughs> there were no signs and wonders, folks. Uh, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, nope, not signs and wonders, folks. Uh, Joseph, nope, not a signs and wonder guy, not at all. Very rare. You know, see, so you'll know. So the, you'll we'll note the the founding patriarchs of our faith. They didn't operate in signs and wonders. So who's the first signs and wonders guy? Moses. So all you got this whole stretch from Adam all the way to Moses without any signs and wonders, folks. And here's where you have to do your homework and ask the question, what are the purpose of signs and wonders? And, and uh, thankfully, Exodus 4 helps us out here. So Exodus 4 says, Moses answered, Behold, they will not believe me. So God is talking to Moses from the burning bush. He's commissioning him to go and set the children of Israel free from slavery. And Moses is not keen on this idea at all. So he says, they, they won't believe me or they won't listen to my voice. They'll say, the Lord hasn't appeared to you. So Yahweh said to him, well, what is that in your hand? And he said, a staff. And he said, throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground. It became a serpent and Moses ran from it. But Yahweh said to Moses, put out your hand, catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand, caught it, and it became a staff in his hand. And then God said these words, that they may believe that Yahweh, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Again, Yahweh said to him, put your hand inside your cloak. So he put his hand inside his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous, like snow. And then God said, put your hand back inside your cloak. So he put his hand back inside of his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. If they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first, watch the word, sign. These were signs that God gave. If they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, that they may believe the latter sign. If they will not believe even these two signs or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground. And the water that you, uh, that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. So note, God gave Moses signs. These were miraculous signs to do what? To validate that he was truly sent by God. Okay. Oh, really? You were sent by God, were you? Well, what sign can you perform to validate that, right? All right. Well, here, here we go. So those were the signs that Moses received. And then Moses pretty much... Well, the last of the real miracle signs and wonders guy, you know, there were a couple of signs and wonders from Joshua. 
who is also an author of scripture. So you can note, God sends Moses gifts him signs. Moses is an author of scripture. Joshua performed a couple of signs, and he was also sent by God and is an author of scripture. But here's the question then, uh, who wrote the rest of the Old Testament? Answer, the prophets. And so who were the next notable signs and wonders guy in the history of the Bible? Well, you go from Joshua all the way to Elijah and Elisha, right? And they performed signs and wonders as prophets of God, sent by God. And, uh, and uh, I would like to argue that uh, the signs and wonders that validated their prophetic ministry was very important because it's the prophets of the school of the prophets who then compiled and put together the rest of the Old Testament. And then when uh, the prophet Malachi finishes his prophecy, the voice of God stops talking audibly to individual human beings for 400 years. Now, that doesn't mean that God doesn't speak because God is speaking to the children of Israel during the intertestamental period time through the written word of God. And then some stirring takes place. John the Baptist is born. John the Baptist becomes an adult and begins his preaching ministry of preparing the way of the Lord. And John the Baptist performed no signs and no wonders. Not not a one. So who's the next big signs and wonder guy? Nope. We got Moses. We got Joshua. We got Elijah. We got Elisha. That's four. That's it. (laughs) Okay. After that, Jesus. And when we take a look at the New Testament, all right, we take a look at the New Testament. In fact, let me do this. I'm going to... Yes, I'm going to duplicate this tab. Uh, I I know I recently taught on this, just in a a very recent video. Uh, The Gospel of John, chapter 20, okay? It says this, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. But these signs are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and by believing you might have life in his name. So Jesus is really the fifth guy in human history to be a signs and wonders guy, and he's like the pinnacle apex of the signs and wonders guys, straight up. And then you'll note that the whole, pur- the, the whole purpose of the Gospel of John is to record seven notable signs that Christ performed so that people would believe he's the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing them, I have life in his name. So you'll note then, uh, Jesus then sends his apostles. And so he sends the 12, but Christ also sends an abnormal apostle, an apostle to the Gentiles who is abnormally born. And, you know, so I always like to think of it this way. When we talk about the 12 tribes of Israel, if you were to write down the names of the 12 tribes of Israel, how many names would you have on, a, on the piece of paper? And you sit there and go, 12? Mm-mm, 13, right? Because you have the half tribe of Ephraim and Manasseh. All right. So we talk about the 12 apostles, right? All right. How many names do we get? Well, Paul never considered himself part of the 12, but we talk about notable apostles of the New Testament. There's 13 names given. Paul is a standout. 
All right. And so the Apostle Paul is the apostle to the Gentiles sent by Jesus Christ himself. But all of that being said, then the next after Christ, the next notable signs and wonders, folks, are who? The apostles of Jesus. And that's an, it's an important distinction. These are apostles specifically sent by Christ. And so we get it, we get a real feel for that here. Let me find it. Let's see here. I want first, uh, here we go, 2 Corinthians 12. And consider what the Apostle Paul writes here. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, the Apostle Paul says this I've been a fool. You force me to it, for I ought to have been commended by you, for I was not at all inferior to these super apostles. Now, in 1 Corinthians 11 and 12, Paul is writing against the so-called super apostles. What a stupid name, by the way, the super apostles. And so he is basically saying, you know, he wasn't inferior to these super apostles, even though he says, I'm really nothing. And then watch the words. The signs of a true apostle were performed among you with utmost patience, with signs and wonders and mighty works. So when we look at the New Testament, who were the people who performed signs and wonders? For the most part, and I mean like 99.9% of the time, they were the apostles of Christ, right? Paul himself was able to perform the signs of a true apostle. And you'll note, after Christ, the only people who are recorded to be able to perform healings and miracles and raise people from the dead are the apostles of Christ, including Peter and Paul. And so when we talk about sign gifts, all right, the, the apostles had sign gifts that validated that they were truly sent by Jesus Christ, you know, and who, and who could speak authoritatively and, you know, on behalf of Christ, and they, they can perform signs and wonders to back it up. So when we take a look, you know, for instance, in the story of Act, in it that's recorded in Acts chapter 9, a woman by the name, by the way, of uh, Tabitha, uh, she has another name, Dorcas. Uh, just a little bit of a side note. I, when I was in junior high, I attended a Christian school. And there was a girl in my class whose parents wanted a biblical name for their daughter. So they named her Dorcas. And ma'am, that was a mistake. I'm just saying. I know it's a biblical name. Don't name your daughters Dorcas. They will be teased mercilessly and horrifically. Don't subject them to that. All right. But all that being said, consider the account. Now, there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. She was, okay, so it doesn't say she was full of signs and wonders, good works and acts of charity. In those days, she became ill and she died. And when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Sounds a lot like the same sign and wonder that Elisha performed. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, please come to us without delay. Now, note here, at no point did the disciples in Lydda or Joppa think, 
you know, we can operate in signs and wonders. We just need to raise Tabitha from the dead ourselves. Nor is Peter, when he's sent for, does he say, don't bother me with that? You guys perform the signs and wonders. You raise her from the dead. I got other stuff to do. But watch what it says. So Peter rose and went with them. And when he arrived, they took him to the upper room, and all the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas had, had made while she was still with them. But Peter put them all outside and knelt down and prayed, and turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up, and he gave her his hand and raised her up. Then calling the saints and the widows, he presented her alive. And it, may, that it became known throughout all of Joppa, and many believed in the Lord, and he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon a tanner. So note here, at no point was it expected that these Christian women should raise Tabitha. Why'd they call Peter? Because he was an apostle of Jesus Christ. He can operate in the signs of the apostle, okay? That being the case, he had the office to do that. So when we consider that, that comes into the, into the mix as well. And then I would note here that the Apostle Paul, if what Isaiah Saldivar said is true, well, then the Apostle Paul really did a disservice in the city of Antioch because when he preached the gospel there, he performed zero signs and wonders. Let me explain. In Acts chapter 13, it says this, Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos, came to Perga and Pamphylia, and John left them and returned to Jerusalem. Uh, but they went out from Perga and came to Antioch and Pisidia. And on the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and sat down. After the reading from the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them saying, Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement, for the people say it, uh, for the people say it. So Paul stood up and motioning with his hand, he said, men of Israel, and you who fear God, listen, the God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with uplifted arm, he led them out of it. And for about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. And all this took about 450 years. And after that, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. And then they asked for a king and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish a man of the tribe of Benjamin for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king of whom he testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart who will do all of my will. Of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a savior, Jesus, as he promised. And before his coming, John had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John was finishing his course, he said, what do you suppose that I am? I am not he, no, but behold, after me, one is coming, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. Brothers and sons of the family of Abraham and those among you who fear God. To us has been sent the message of the salvation. For those who live in Jerusalem and the rulers, because they did not recognize him nor understand the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, they fulfilled them by condemning him. And though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days he appeared to those who had come up 
with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. Now, I'm going to note here, in Antioch, Pisidia, the Apostle Paul performed no miracles. He made an appeal to one very important sign, the resurrection of Christ. And so you'll know, John the Apostle, when he writes his gospel, he says, these signs are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. So I would note then, you could legitimately say, oh yes, signs and wonders are required when you preach the gospel. Most notably, the signs of Christ. Specifically, his resurrection from the grave. That's the sign that he is who he claimed to be, the Son of God in human flesh. It's also the sign that shows that his sacrifice was accepted by the Father and that we are forgiven in him. Now, if Isaiah Saldivar were to say, oh yeah, signs and wonders are required and we must preach Christ and him crucified and him raised from the dead on the third day, I would say amen, but he's not, okay? So note here, the Apostle Paul doesn't perform any signs and wonders, and the big sign he points to is the resurrection of Christ, and it just so happens the Apostle Paul is an eyewitness to the resurrection of Jesus. So, and we bring you good news that what God promised to the fathers, he has fulfilled to us, their children, how? By raising Jesus, as also it is written in the second Psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he has spoken in this way, I will give you the holy and sure blessing of David. Therefore, he says also in another Psalm, you will not let your holy one see corruption. So not only is Paul saying, I'm an eyewitness of the resurrection, Christ has risen from the dead, this is also fulfillment of prophecy, which is another miracle, sign wonder, if you would. David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, he fell asleep. He was laid with his fathers and he saw corruption, but he whom God raised up uh, did not see corruption. So let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. So beware, therefore, lest what is said about in, in the prophets should come about. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish, for I am doing a work in your days, a work you will not believe even if one tells you. As they went out, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke, with them, urge them to continue in the grace of God. The only sign and wonder that Paul pointed to was not a single sign that he performed. It was the resurrection of Jesus. These signs are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. So Moses' ministry, and he being the first author of Scripture, validated by signs and wonders. Joshua, author of Scripture, validated by signs and wonders. Uh, the, the school of the prophets who end up recording the rest of the Old Testament. Their, their initial ministry, the, you know, Elijah and Elisha, right? They, they, they are, their, their, their authorship of Scripture is validated by signs and wonders. Christ being the Messiah, validated by signs and wonders. Ah, the apostles, of the, those sent by Christ, they could operate in the signs of the apostles and they could perform signs and wonders, and, and they did. But you'll note the apostle Paul, who could operate in signs and wonders here, just preached the gospel. 
And we'll talk about that more in a minute. So the next day, Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. Uh, but when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, it was necessary that the word of God be spoken to you first. But since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, returning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light to the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord, and many as were appointed to eternal life believed. How many signs and wonders took place there? Zero. Not one. Huh. So note, the Apostle Paul says, all right, in order for me to preach the gospel in its fullness, I must perform signs and wonders. So check this out. And takes his finger and goes, ta-da, da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Oh, isn't that neat? Yeah, now you should believe in Jesus. So Isaiah Saldivar has some splaining to do, some splaining to do, all right? And I would note that this is also consistent, you know, another example, Paul in the city of Athens, okay? In the city of Athens, it says this, uh, while Paul was waiting at at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Notice, no signs, no wonders. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him, and some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said, well, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities, because he was preaching Jesus, and what was he preaching? The resurrection, the sign, right? The big one. And they took him and they brought him to the Areopagus saying, well, maybe we know this new teaching is that you are presenting, so, for you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, that these what these things mean. Now, all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you were very religious, for as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God. What therefore you worship is unknown, I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord in heaven of earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of the dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and we have our being." as even of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art of the imagination of man. The times of ignorance God has overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. There he goes again. Doesn't perform a single sign or wonder. He just preaches Christ and him crucified for our sins, calls people to repent, and points to the resurrection as the sign, right? Now, when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, others said, well, we'll hear you again about this. So, Paul went out from their midst, but some men joined him and they what? 
believed. Okay. Well, how is that possible? Paul didn't perform any signs or wonders. Signs and wonders are not the, are not the purpose of not there to convince people that Christ is real. They're always there to convince the world or people that the apostle or prophet is sent by Christ. Okay? And the and so well, signs and wonders, oh, we have them aplenty. Mm-hmm. Namely the resurrection of the dead, but we have all the signs and wonders of the scripture which validate the gospel that we preach. Now, Paul then, let me let me let me kind of throw this into the mix here. I'm going to th- two text. Romans chapter 1. Paul says something very interesting. And he says this, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Okay? Note what he says here. For it, the gospel, it is the what? Dunamis. It is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, that is writ- as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So Paul says the p- gospel itself, the good news, that Christ died for our sins, was buried and raised on the third day from the grave that that is the power of God for salvation. Okay, keep that in mind. And then this is also similarly stated in 1 Corinthians chapter chapter 1, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the what? Power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. This is going to be an important thing that we'll come back to. So then here's the question then. How does one become a Christian? We do not have to perform magic tricks, nor do we have to perform signs and wonders. Paul answers the question. In Romans chapter 10, starting at verse 14, Paul asks the question. How then will they call on him whom they have not believed? How are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? How are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? And watch the words. Faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. And I would note then that even Jesus himself makes it very clear that signs and wonders are not for the purpose of convincing people of God's existence or anything like that. Let me explain. Jesus tells this parable in Luke chapter 16. And watch what happens. Uh, There was a rich man who was clothed in purple. By the way, this doesn't really read like a parable. This might actually just be a historical account. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple, fine linen, who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores, and the poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried, and in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off, and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. 
and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, Lazarus in like manner, bad things, but now he is comforted here and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. And he said, Well, then I beg you, Father, send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come to this place of torment. So note, uh, uh, this rich man, what's his name again? Yeah, that's a thing. The, uh, the damned go into damnation without a name. It's terrifying. So this, this <clears throat> man who's damned to hell, he doesn't want his brothers to experience the same fate. Send Lazarus back from the dead. Abraham said, they have Moses and they have the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. So the, the note the New Living Translations uh, translation of Romans 15, 18, and 19 contradicts Christ. So note here, Abraham didn't sit there and go, yeah, you know, you got a point there. We got to prove to them that Jesus is real, so we better send Lazarus, right? Uh-uh. He says, let them hear Moses and the prophets. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. So we've got a big problem here. And let me kind of throw this into the other mix here. Galatians 3. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you, Paul says. It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was proclaimed as publicly portrayed as crucified. So let me ask you this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by what? Hearing with faith. Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? And does he who supplies the Spirit to you and work miracles among you do so by works of the law, or what? By hearing with faith. So you'll note, even God acting miraculously is doing so by those who are hearing with faith, just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. So... Isaiah Saldivar has some splaining to do because everything that he's taught here is false. And he's gone to an aberrant translation, the NLT, to basically say, well, Paul said that uh, his signs and wonders convinced the Gentiles. No, he didn't. In fact, if Paul had said that, he would have contradicted Christ, but he didn't. It's not in the text. So uh, Saldivar is... Um, is adding stuff to the scripture. So let me back this up now, and you can see what's going on here. Are signs and wonders required? If by signs and wonders you mean the signs and wonders performed by Moses, Joshua, the prophets, Isaiah, and Elijah, by Jesus and the apostles of Jesus Christ, those are the only people who can operate in sign gifts in scripture, then yeah, they are required. And they've already, they're there for us already. So yeah, Paul preached the gospel in Athens, Antioch, Pisidia, without performing a single sign or wonder, but always pointing people to the big one, the sign, 
the resurrection of Christ. So where Isaiah Saldivar is going off here, he's going off the rails. He wonders is the full presentation of the gospel. So he says, with signs and wonders, I fully presented it. Anyone who says signs and wonders don't matter or isn't required in presenting the gospel is completely wrong. Paul says this, signs and wonders gave him full confidence that he fully preached the gospel and without... No, he didn't say that at all. That is an inaccurate paraphrase of what Paul said. And you're reading things into the biblical text that are not there based on a faulty translation, the NLT. And this is a mess. Them, the gospel's not full. Here's what the NLT says. They were convinced by the power of miraculous signs and wonders and by the power of God's spirit. In this way, in what way? By the miraculous signs and wonders. In this way. No, again, aberrant translation, not supported at all by the Greek. I have fully presented the good news of Christ from Jerusalem all the way to Lyricum. In today's era of Christianity, we've lost the convincing factor. The thing that was convinced. Again, Abraham says that the rich man's brothers wouldn't be convinced even if somebody raised from the grave. Mm -hmm. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of Christ. If, if the convincing factor were necessary, as uh, Isaiah Saldivar says here, then why didn't Paul perform signs and wonders in Antioch, Pisidia? Why didn't he perform signs and wonders in Athens? Hmm? Convincing people in Paul's day was the signs and wonders. No, it wasn't. And today we use programs, gimmicks, and nice buildings. But Paul used signs and wonders. He didn't need to play. The signs and wonders validated his apostleship. A performance, a gimmick. It was the raw power of God that convinced them. The Bible says they were convinced by the miraculous signs and wonders. No, it doesn't. The NLT is an aberrant translation. So the world doesn't need a new definition of Christianity. They need a new demonstration of Christianity. And this is the typical charismatic Pentecostal NAR narrative. The, Christia, the world needs a new demonstration of Christianity. So get out there and perform signs and wonders. And what does that lead to? Men like Todd White demonstrating God's power by lengthening legs. You know, it's the same thing as this. Okay. It's the same thing. If Jesus healed the sick and cast out demons literally everywhere he went, why don't you think as a follower of his, you shouldn't be doing that? I don't understand this. Why is it okay for so many pastors to... I'm not an apostle. I cannot operate in the signs of the apostles. Not perform signs and wonders. Why is it okay for pastors to preach against miracles today? I don't know a single pastor who preaches against miracles. I know a lot of pastors who preach against the false pseudo miracles of the charismatic movement, NAR. It's time to let the Holy Spirit empower our lives. Let the Holy Spirit, it's time. You see, God just wants you to perform signs and wonders, but you're not letting him. Again, what kind of Holy Spirit is that? Hi, this is the Holy Spirit, and uh, I really, really want to perform signs and wonders, but you're not letting me. And I, I you know, I, I'm a gentleman, and I would never make you perform signs and wonders against your will. But if you would just desire them, and you, and, you, and allow me, please, 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 to perform signs and wonders, I, I'd be happy to do them. That ain't the Holy Spirit. That's a false spirit altogether. And begin to perform signs and wonders so that we can fully present the gospel. There's no <laughs> you got to let the Holy Spirit do it so we can finally fully present the gospel. Huh. You know, there's been almost an unbroken 19 centuries that Christianity has exploded in growth over, the ni over 19 centuries. And very few, I mean scant few miraculous signs have ever been performed in those 1900 years.
keep that in mind. No getting around it. Without signs and wonders, we have not fully presented the gospel. And the signs and wonders are... Right. Without signs and wonders, we haven't fully presented the gospel. Then Paul didn't fully present the gospel in Antioch, Pisidia. Paul didn't fully present the gospel in Athens. This is nonsense. Are the convincing element. No, they're not. Again, Abraham makes it clear. They won't even believe if somebody comes back from the dead. Signs and wonders are not the convincing element. God has to raise people from the dead spiritually. He does it by the power of God in the gospel. The gospel is the power of God into salvation. I just find it so hard to convince people God's alive and well. I don't. I don't have to convince anybody that God is alive and well. Let me, let me explain this one, okay? In Romans chapter 1, we're going we're to go back to Romans 1. Romans 1. <clears throat> so after saying those words that we read earlier, okay, that the gospel is the power of God into salvation for everyone who believes, Paul then goes on and says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness they suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. His invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, they have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so that men are without excuse. There's no such thing as an atheist. This, this text of scripture makes this very clear. There's no such thing as an atheist. An atheist is somebody who knows that God exists, who is actively and hostily suppressing the truth and unrighteousness, but they already know that God exists. There are no real atheists. So I don't have to convince anybody that God exists, nor do I have to perform signs and wonders. I just don't. Because if I was required to, to perform signs and wonders, number one, God's word would tell me that. But number two, the Holy Spirit would equip me to be able to do that. I have never performed a sign or a wonder. And I'm not ashamed to say that either. I have prayed for people and have watched as God has miraculously and mercifully answered prayer. And uh, there are people who are alive today because of answered prayer. But did I perform a sign or a wonder? Nope. And here's the thing. They were believers long before I prayed for them. Long, 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 decades. <laughs> like most of their life before I prayed for them. And God had mercy and miraculously healed them. But all of that being said, you know, that wasn't about convincing anybody of anything. It was them crying out to God in faith and asking that he be merciful. And he was. So you get the idea here. So Saldivar is just a mess here. I literally don't find it hard. When they see deliverance, when they see miracles, when they get healed, when God moves in their life, they're... I have yet to see a real miracle. And I mean this. I have been a critic, a vocal, outspoken critic of the charismatic movement for two decades. And I have yet to see a real miracle performed by any of these yahoos. Not a single one. And just so you know, I was in the latter reign. I was a charismatic myself. And, and the church I went to, we had a prophetess over us. And I have yet in my lifetime to see an actual real miracle performed by anybody claiming to be operating in the gifts of the Spirit today. Not one. Not one. These are all pseudo-semeon, pseudo-signs, pseudo-wonders. They're not real. They are, the, again, the, the Todd White quality of stuff. Yep, that. there you go, right there. I, ooh, that's neat. Yeah, that's, that's, that's the equivalent of what I've seen. 
I've yet to see a real sign, real wonder from any of these people. So Saldivar say, oh, yeah, it's super easy for me. Really? Really? Uh-huh. Sure. I've watched your videos. I've never seen you operate in a real sign. Or have I seen you perform a miracle that can be legitimately validated by a third-party source? So, yeah, we'll, th we'll throw this into the mix, too, because it was something he just recently did. And let's let's listen to this. If we are in the spiritual realm, and we've been given spiritual power and spiritual authority, by the way, this will be the first time I ever used notes in 12 years, so what a historic day. And the first time I'm ever going to preach in glasses, so welcome. I'm going to note this. He claims to be able to operate in signs and wonders. And same says that they're required, that they're necessary in order to demonstrate to the world that Christ exists. But no biblical text says that. Okay, The sign that Christ is who he claimed to be is the resurrection from the grave. But all that being said, this, um, Isaiah here, Isaiah Saldivar, he wears glasses. Physician, heal thyself. Don't sit here and tell me that you can operate in signs and wonders and you're wearing glasses. Mm -hmm. Don't work that Welcome way. to school, Teacher Isaiah here, because I want to show you that we don't just have the power to lay hands on the sick, we don't just have the power to cast out demons, but actually we have supernatural abilities you've maybe never heard of that every single one of us in this room have access to. Did you say supernatural abilities? I did. Now the world is... This is a standard stump speech in the charismatic movement. When I was in the charismatic movement, this is exactly, I heard messages just like Fascinated with supernatural abilities. I'm going to show you this. The two best-selling movies, number one, are movies about the spiritual realm. Occult movies, Harry Potter-esque movies, anything that has to do with the supernatural and witchcraft, the world loves it. They eat it up, they buy it, it's number one. The number two best-selling box office movies are superhero movies. You have Spider-Man and Batman and Superman and Ant-Man and Carpet-Man and Coca-Cola Man. I mean, they're out of movies to make, so they're just picking bugs now and animals. And on my mind, I'm like, they've made the Hulk five times. I mean, how many times can you turn green? It's like the Hulk returns, the Incredible Hulk. It's like, man, the Hulk is just, but we have all these movies that we flock to and the Avengers and this and that, and we run and watch them. Why? Because there's an inherent desire in every single one of you, even if you look bored this morning, there's an inherent desire on the inside of you to walk in supernatural abilities. If I said, would you like to fly? Every one of us, except for those afraid of heights would say yes. If I said, would you like to turn invisible? You'd say yes. If I said, would you like to shrink down to this size whenever you want? We'd all be like, yes, I love these supernatural abilities. But do you know that God has given us abilities even greater than those abilities? That not only do we have power to lay hands on the sick, not only do we have power to cast out demons, but God gives us supernatural abilities for the advancing of the kingdom of God. Watch this. First grade. Watch what he does here. This is this is sneaky. Don't worry about the slides. I'm Hispanic and Italian. I talk too loud and too fast, so don't worry. I'll take a breath in 30 minutes here. First Corinthians 4:20. The kingdom of God is not about talking, but it's about power and demonstration. So those. All right, 1 Corinthians 4.20. Let's take a look at that, and we're going to uh, apply a, another rule of, of sound biblical exegesis. And so let me, let me get there. Uh, uh, 1 Corinthians 4, verse 20, we're going to look at it from a good translation. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. Okay? Now, charismatics thinks, well, that means we have to perform signs and wonders. Uh-uh. No, not at all. And there's a reason, and that is in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, okay, a text I've already looked at, Paul defines something here. So the idea then is, is that when you're reading a book, when you're reading an epistle, oftentimes uh, references that are made earlier in the, in the book or the work or the letter uh, lay the foundation for how to interpret things later on. 
Okay, so note, he's taking a text that is unclear. So unclear passages have to be governed by clear passages. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, and then Romans 1, 16, 17, 18 that we just read. The word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. The gospel is the power of God of God. So when we take a look at 1 Corinthians 4:20, the kingdom of God does not consist in talk but in power. Paul is making reference back to the gospel itself. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of Christ. So when somebody says, "Ah, oh, well you see you have to demonstrate it." No, it doesn't say demonstrate. The kingdom of God does not consist in talk but in power. And that same word dunamis is used here. Talking about what? The same thing that Paul had already talked about in 1 Corinthians 1, that the gospel, the message of the cross, it is the power. So Saldivar here, again, he's he's kind of your standard fare, really poorly taught, charismatic, who is now putting requirements on people that they must, they have to perform signs and wonders, and he's twisting scripture to make it look like this is what the scripture demands of us. But it doesn't. Of you that are angry saying it's not really about demonstration and miracles, you're wrong because Paul said, I preached with signs, wonders, and miracles so that the people I preached to were fully convinced and so that I know. Yeah, you're quoting the NLT again, which is a aberrant translation. The NLT's translation cannot be justified from the original Greek text. That's why it, you don't see any other translation say those words. You don't see the ESV say it, the King James. Uh, you, don't, you, you don't see the NASB or the NIV even saying anything like this. No, this is word for word that I fully presented the gospel all the way from here to Lyricum. Paul was saying the gospel without, hear me loud, signs and wonders and miracles is not the full gospel. It is a... No, he's not saying that at all, because Paul preached the gospel without any signs and wonders in Athens and Antioch, Pisidia. Partial gospel. It is no, he's not saying it's a partial gospel. This is false. By the way, the gospel, and this is important, the gospel is defined for us, okay? The apostle Paul makes it clear what the gospel is. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. And so I'm going to throw in one more passage here. In Galatians chapter 1, Paul explains where he got the gospel from. Okay, In Galatians chapter 1, Paul says, I would have you know, brothers, verse 11, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. It's not. I didn't receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. So Paul makes it clear where he got the gospel from, that he preached. He got it directly from Jesus. And Paul lays it out. He says, now I remind you, 1 Corinthians 15, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. He was buried on the third day, raised and on and he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and to the twelve, and then he appeared to more than five hundred brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. 
So note here, that's the gospel. Christ died for our sins. He was raised again on the third day. And it's true, if you preach Christ, you preach the gospel without the resurrection, that's not the gospel. Because the resurrection is the sign that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you might have life in his name. It's the pinnacle one. So Isaiah is way off. So if you ever, if you know anybody that follows this guy on YouTube, it's time to unsubscribe. This guy is a lot of flash. He's a lot of, he's a quick talker. He almost like rattles your brain like a machine gun, but he is a terrible twister of God's word. And this false doctrine puts all kinds of burdens on people. And I would note that people cracking under the pressure and the anxiety of being told that they have to perform signs and wonders, that becomes part of the motivation for why they go around performing false signs and false wonders and claim, you know, and claim healings when there are no real healings. I, again, I would point to Todd White, Todd Bentley, and others. These aren't real signs and wonders. These aren't real miracles. They're not real healings. They're not real nothings. All right? So the big pressure put on charismatics to perform signs and wonders and them being told, it's only a half gospel if you don't perform signs and wonders. Scriptures not only don't teach it, they contradict it. So again, if God wanted you to perform a sign or wonder, he'd give you the ability to do so. But as for me, I'm going to continue to preach the gospel, the good news that Christ died for our sins, for your sins and mine, so that we can be saved because the gospel is the power of God into salvation. It is the power, not signs and wonders. So hopefully you found this helpful. If so, all the information on how you can share the video is down below in the description. Until next time, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ and his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen. Hispanic and Italian. I talk too loud and too fast, so don't worry, I'll take a breath in 30 minutes here. <laughs>